everybody stand with us this morning as we open it worship we sing about the rock of ages one that we can put our trust and faith in our lives on there is no rock there is no god like our god no other no other name is worthy of all our praise he's the rock of salvation that cannot be moved he's proven himself to be Amen. Amen. And it's true, absolutely no other place that you should be standing on but the name of Jesus Christ and his finished and completed work for your life in Christ. Welcome to Sunset Hills. My name is Eric, one of the pastors here. So glad that you're with us this morning. Another beautiful fall Sunday, right? 
So um, hopefully, you, as you came in to the sanctuary this morning, you were able to receive just a bulletin that's going to have some great information for us to cover later. Looking forward to hearing what Pastor Steve has to say to us. Continued worship. Um, just want to welcome you. If you're newer to our church or new maybe this Sunday morning, please come and see us right out in the lobby. We have a gift for you. You can also just text uh, to that number. Just say hi. That'll get us into some correspondence. We promise not to send your, your cell number to some sort of telemarketer and make it real difficult for your life. That's not our motivation here. We just want to connect with you and just thank you for coming. Otherwise, we're just grateful that uh, we're coming into a season where really, in my opinion, I think as I was sharing with one of our life group classes this morning, really the church has a big opportunity to be able to disclose the greatness of God and his coming over 2,000 years ago. So here we come into Thanksgiving. Here we're going to be coming into Christmas. And so we have some flyers out in the lobby that give some evidence to some things that we're going to be doing that we hope that you'll be a part of, that you'll be thinking about those friends and those family members. And hey, come to Sunset Hills. Check it out. We would love to have you. And you come and you be that's it. Oh, there we go. Uh, so it's a cue to say, Eric, it's time to shut up. But would you do me a favor? Would you just turn around and say hello to everybody around you? Say, welcome to Sunset Hills.
this morning. Lord, we are so honored, God, today. Lord, yet once again, to be able to step into your house. God, to be able to worship you and lift your name up high this morning. Lord, you're the only one worthy to be praised. God, I hope we never take for granted the sacrifice that you made, that God, you didn't have to. God, you didn't owe the debt, we did. But Lord, because of your love, because you so loved us, that God, you sent your one and only son, God, to die for a wretch just like me. So Lord, today as we lift your name up high, Lord, let us just let all the plans of the day just go by the wayside, Lord. And let's just focus in on this time, Lord, of worship. Lord, speak to our hearts, and when you do, let us be obedient to your call. And God, if there's one here today that has never said yes to you, Lord, let today be their day. God, their day of victory their day of salvation. We love you and thank you, Lord, for all you do. It's in your mighty name this morning that we pray. Amen. You may be seated today. Morning, Sunset Hills. Everybody doing well? Had a good week? Wrote. I need a couple of deacons to come up here, please. Escort this lady in the black out of the... Now, see, I wasn't going to say anything about that. I've been fighting a head cold all week, and I've been sucking on a cough drop. I have got my water. I've got my throat coat tea that's made out of tree bark. It's like licking... A wall paint or something over there. I probably will start out really strong as UT did yesterday and end up pretty weak by the end of the service. Let's see. Let's make sure. Try not to make that happen, okay? I am not where... Sir? <laughs> the rate it's going, I'm liable to quit right now and... Lord, have mercy on my church this morning. <laughs> We're going to talk about another parable, another one that makes you feel uncomfortable. And, you know, parables are really a cool thing, cool teaching that Jesus did. They're really quite short and simple, unlike my sermon today. They don't have a lot of complex plots or dozens of characters. You don't need to have some sort of theology degree in order to understand them, and yet they're very, very brief, they're sim simple, and perhaps because of them, 
they have the ability to kind of get right in and speak a message to us. I hope that that happens today based on what Jesus' teachings were. And the one that he's talking about today that we're going to look at is one of the uh, principles, one of the characteristics that makes Christianity different from other religions that are out there. On the surface, these, um, these parables, they're, they're kind of benign, as a matter of fact. Maybe inoffensive and harmless, they're stories. A child can understand them, but the more that you begin to think on them, the more you let it sort of pay attention and allow the Holy Spirit to start speaking to you about it, the more you experience what the true power is of the parables and the teachings of Jesus. And it begins to really expose us for who we are. Then we have responsibility to decide what we're going to do with the teaching that Jesus has just accomplished. When I think about these, I... I did not know this until later on in life that when um, President Lincoln gave his Gettysburg Address in 1863 to dedicate a portion of the battlefield and, uh, as a cemetery in the Civil War, I mean, we're familiar with that, right? And maybe you could even quote that. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal we, we readily recognize that the whole speech from beginning to end is only 272 words it took Lincoln just barely two minutes to deliver it what most people don't know is that Lincoln was not the only speaker on that day as I understood for many many years there was another man by the name of Edward Everett who was considered to be a great orator who came before Lincoln in the program and gave an address that lasted a full two hours. It's never any fun following someone who's been up there for more than their extended time. And then Lincoln gets up, or after these words in that particular speech, contained 14,000 words, and it began like this, standing beneath the serene sky overlooking these broad fields, now reposing from the labors of the waning year, the mighty Alleghenies dimly towering before us, the graves of our brethren beneath our feet. It goes on, on, on. But which one do we remember from that day? I'm not so sure that this is a good illustration, really, when you stop and think about it, because you're again thinking, <laughs> how short is your sermon going to be about right now, right? But Jesus had the ability to share these parables, these short stories, in such a way that they really had an impact to them. And I want us to think about that as we look at this particular parable that's found in Matthew chapter 18 
about the unmerciful servant. I am going to do you a favor and break this down into two parts so that we won't be here until 1 o'clock. We're going to finish up about 12 or so, or maybe a little earlier. If you want to turn to your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And one of the great characters of the New Testament, Peter, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy times seven times and therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began the settlement a man who owned who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all they had and all he had to be sowed to repay the debt the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. And he begged, I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. It's kind of a sobering story. I think, really, in a way... In our culture today, it might be a, a little easy to ignore it or disregard this as having little application to ourselves because, after all, we aren't slaves, and likely uh, in America, we don't have to worry about being thrown in jail because of a debt, and if it ever came to that, we would just file bankruptcy protection. We also don't live in a culture where people can be forced to sell wives and children in order to pay their bills. You might want to do that, but we, you can't, right, in this country. So in this parable, we see the actions of a main character who, and I'm not talking about God here, I'm talking about the guy who has the debt. His actions really, as we'll get to next week, are truly outrageous being forgiven an astronomical amount of money and then immediately going out and assaulting someone who owed him a relatively small sum, we um, may not be able to identify with someone who acts in such a callous matter, or maybe we can. Maybe this is a problem for us. The parable here is holding a mirror up to our hearts and we oftentimes can't see our own reflection of where we are in our relationship with God. And we can't admit that this ungrateful wretch looks more like us than what we really want to acknowledge. And so we may just overlook the parallels that exist, being forgiven this immense debt by our master, then turning around and refusing to forgive a much smaller debt. And you're probably already figuring out where this is going. Being forgiven our sins by God, and yet, as we're told and taught to do, refusing to forgive others 
holding grudges and <clears throat> nursing resentments and consoling ourselves with thoughts of revenge against people that have hurt us. And Jesus warns us about this. And he says, if that's the attitude you're going to have, you're going to pay a terrible price for that. So let's back up and let's start and look at Peter's question. <clears throat> Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times. I think probably in today's time we don't even consider that. I mean, really, don't put Peter in such a bad place here. As you say, seven times. Because quite honestly, I think so many people, they won't even give someone one time of forgiveness. And quite honestly, we're living in a culture to where you're one and done. One mistake, and it costs you forever. So we ought to give Peter some credit here, because he's begun to realize that the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees are inadequate and <clears throat> the traditions held that a person may be forgiven three or four times at the most but if he's a repeat offender why we can just write him off that shouldn't that person ought not be forgiven however Peter's life has been affected by the teachings of Jesus Christ and he's willing to extend someone a little more here and at least he's asking the questions so he suggests maybe seven times as a, as a possibility, probably expecting that Christ or that Jesus would say to him, Man, Peter, you're on it, buddy. You are starting to figure it out. You're extending your graciousness further than all the people who have been taught to just give up on people. So he's thinking, Oh, as I say this, Jesus is going to praise me for my wisdom and, and my attitude. Peter's, Peter still hasn't got it yet because he really doesn't understand the nature of God's love. Love doesn't say you get seven chances to mess up before I reject you instead of three. Love says, I won't reject you. No, he goes further than that. He says, I won't reject you no matter what. No matter how many times you mess up or how badly you mess up and how much suffering it causes me, I won't reject you. Peter's thinking in terms of practicality, in terms of laws and rules and acceptable standards of behavior, but Christ is saying, wait a minute. That's not the way that it works in, in this kingdom that I'm creating. If you want to love as I love, then you're going to sprinkle that with grace. Actually, it's more than sprinkle. You're going to lavish grace and mercy on others. So Jesus answers, says... I tell you, Peter, look, you think you got it right? You're way off. Not seven times, 
But other versions say seven ti 70 times seven. 77 times. In other words, it's infinite. It's an unlimited number of times because love doesn't keep track of such things. Now, biblically, we sort of understand that in the church. But practically, we don't carry it out. Because you remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13? We said, oh, well, that just applies because you hear it at weddings, right? It just applies to the new married couple. I married a couple three or four weeks ago, and I used 1 Corinthians as kind of a model here of what love looks like, but it's not just a model for a couples who are madly in love with each other and can't wait to get on their honeymoon and then all of a sudden after it's not so nice anymore five hours into it well that only applied back then when things were good or that only applies to what we think in terms of the churches well, that only applies to those people in a wedding ceremony who are newlyweds. Actually, what 1 Corinthians describes as love applies to every one of us, no matter how old we are, how many years we've been married, how many years that we've been, shall I say, divorced, or been a believer. Here's what Paul writes that specifically addresses this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Let us sink in. Love doesn't go back and keep up. Doesn't keep track with how many times people have wronged you. You don't go back when somebody's messed with you again and start pulling up those mental notes well here we go again this is what you did last time it's what you did two weeks ago it's what you did 14 years ago there are a lot of couples going through marital problems who just can't seem to get over this they keep rehashing the same old issue, the same old problem, no matter how many times forgiveness has been asked for, it's like all of a sudden they'll bring it up again. Maybe you've got someone in your life like that. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You see how this fits together with what, teaching, what Jesus is teaching here? So if that's the case, if we really practice this, how in the world can we justify ever saying, I refuse to forgive you anymore? We can't. 
believers, Christians, we can't. And to explain this, Jesus delivers this parable. Now, set the scene here of what it looks like. The king's in the king's room. The king, he's decided he's going to call in all of his debts. One by one, his servants come in and bring in people who need to settle accounts and precisely who they are and, and how much each one owes. And the king, uh, you know, they're brought in and brought before the king. And then this guy comes in. And it's discovered that he owes a considerable amount. We aren't told... Um, uh, exactly what it is, but it's more than 10,000 talents. Now, let me describe how much a talent is. A talent was used as a measurement of weight used in places like Rome and Greece. A denarii was the same, except worth a lot less than a talent. A talent was 6,000 denarius. One denarii was pay for one day of labor so to pay off one talent you would have to work 6,000 days and to pay off 10,000 talents you would need to work 60 million days it's an incredible amount what it really equals to is an unpayable debt couldn't be paid and there's a problem. The slave is bankrupt. His debts now far exceeds what he has the ability to pay, his assets. So the king orders that his property be seized and sold. Why? Because he's broken in debt. And the king even goes beyond that. And he says, orders the servant and his family to be sold into slavery. Not even this would be enough to cover the debt. The going rate for slaves was far less than that. So he would not be able to raise what he owed. What this really illustrates, and why Jesus is taking such pains to, to get this across so that they would understand it, was how desperate the servant's situation was. Even if he was able to sell all his possessions, even if his wife and children were sold into slavery, wouldn't be nearly be enough. Because I think songs that kind of address this, it's never enough. It's desperate. It's right, quite ri ridiculous. You could labor for hundreds of lifetimes still have, not have enough he's only left one thing to do can you imagine can you see it drops down to his knees knees starts begging for mercy please don't sell my my children off into slavery you can have my wife maybe but no I'm teasing <laughs> he's begging don't throw me in jail. Just have mercy on me. 
a miracle happens. King takes pity on him. Canceled the debt and let him go. No punishment, no seizure of his property, no slavery, no nothing. The king just wiped all of his debt off and let him go free. Forgiven, wiped clean, cast away. Now, in order to appreciate the point of this parable, we need to understand that every one of us, every person who's ever lived, is in exactly the same position as this servant found himself in because of sin. Because we owe a great debt far beyond our ability to pay. And regardless of what anybody is trying to say otherwise in this culture, the only way that you can pay your debt is through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other hope that is going to be forgiven. You can't work it off. You can't pay it off. The good news is that this is just what God promised to do through the sacrifice of the life of Jesus Christ. He paid the debt, the penalty for sin. And he's completely able and capable of forgiving the debt of all of us, of anyone who places their faith in him. The guilt... Utterly wiped off, cleaned up, reconciled with God. No punishment, no need for trying to work it off. Vain attempt anyway. Just forgiveness. Utterly complete. Now I expect most of us here this morning would agree totally with what I've just said and what I've just preached. And we have a pretty good understanding of that. We know that forgiveness of sin comes through faith alone. We know that we can't pay for our sin by doing good works. God can't balance the scale that way. Maybe here's the problem where we get a little bit confused. Somehow we start thinking to ourselves, we're not that guilty or deserving of condemnation. However, Paul writes, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Not one. Three kind of points out of this. Well, let's make it four. There is no one righteous. Think of the best person in the world that you've ever heard about. You don't even have to know them. 
maybe have some high esteem um, honored to them because of their good works, because of their how good of person they were. Yet Paul is teaching, not even that person is righteous. We all have sin. We all fall short. We are all guilty. So what does God do to make righteousness available? Well, where this scripture comes from, from Romans chapter 3, if you go on and read, here's what it has to say. The righteousness of God comes from faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. It's powerful. The only way for us to be justified, to be judged without guilt, is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. That's fundamental. I don't expect anyone here will object to anything I've said. But in my view, the problem is not that we doubt the reality of our sin. The problem is that we don't fully appreciate the enormity of our sin. It's no accident that when Jesus is describing this character's debt, he chose a large amount and then almost incomprehensible amounts. He, he wants us to realize just how much evil and weak, wickedness in us exists in order and, and, and how much it's needed for us to have the atonement found in Jesus Christ on the cross. But we tend to minimize our own sin. We excuse it. We overlook it. We, we plead extending circumstances. Why does that matter? Because the less we appreciate how much God had to give up in order to forgive us, it's the less we love Him. If you want to fully appreciate how much God's love is, then you need to fully appreciate how desperate you are and needed it. On another occasion, Jesus said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love you more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. The point of the passage is, not that it's acceptable to love God less if we're not as sinful as other people. The point is actually the reverse. If someone loves God only a little, it's a sign of they don't understand the depth of their own sin. And their gratitude and thankfulness toward God are small 
Now you think that God, how he interacts, what he does, does in their life is small. Now here's a few points I want to make out of this. First is this. We truly need to see our sin as God sees our sin. You need to look at your life, your sin, and see as God sees. So what do you do about it? I mean, if you really begin to see sin the way God sees it, the perspective of how you view sin affects the perspective of how you view God's love and forgiveness. If your view of sin is no big deal, then that's an indication of how you view your relationship with God and His forgiveness of sin in your life. If we suspect that our thankfulness and our gratitude and joy and salvation is low because of our sense of personal sin low, then what do we do? If we kind of find ourselves... Firstly, you've got to recognize and see your sin as God sees it. So what do you do? You compare yourself to the example of Christ and the teachings of the Bible. You want to see how great your sin is? You know what we tend to do? We don't compare our sin to Jesus, his life, and how he lived. We tend to compare our sins to other people. And that's where the term comes from in the statements like, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy over there. You're just lying to yourself. Compare yourself. You want to see yourself for how God sees you? Compare yourself to Jesus. He is the only one worthy of a true comparison. Because he is what holiness looks like. The more you understand what holiness looks like, the more you're able to see how far and how short you really are compared to him. So that's the first thing. Compare yourself to Christ. To the teachings of God's Word. What's the next thing? Ask God to open up your eyes to see your sin. See it for what it truly is. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit there to help you, to convict you of where you are. So call upon the Holy Spirit the power of God that he has placed in each of us who are believers, call upon him to see, open the eyes to sin. Now, chances are pretty good most of us can recognize all the big sins we do. No, I know. Here's my list. Well, what's on your list? I'm not telling you. Okay? But you know what? I've got a whole lot of sin that I do that I've just done it so long, I just, I forget about it. I push it to the side. I'm not unique in this. Kelly has it too. Your list is shorter. I need to drink to that one. You all have them. 
These sins that we've been so accustomed to doing, we don't even think anything about them anymore. So we need to spend some time. Lord, show me. Show me where I'm falling short. Because I'm not able to recognize it on my own. I've been so corrupted. I have been so desensitized to it that you, I need your help to show me. So you've done that. You begin to see sin for what it is. What's the next thing? Confession. Confession. Confess your sin and seek forgiveness. It's like every time we pray, we ought to spend some time in examining our hearts and confessing our sins to God. This is what Jesus taught us. He said, remember when he was teaching his disciples? Forgive us our debts. And we'll get into the other part next week. Forgive us where we are. We're a lot like the unforgiving man in the story of Jesus told, though, because we have to recognize we have a debt that cannot be paid. What's the largest garbage dump you've ever seen in your life? Has anybody ever been to a a garbage dump. Let me see your hand if you've been to a... I'm not talking about a convenience center. They don't call that the dump over there. That's the convenience center. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real garbage dump. How many of you have seen a big garbage dump? Okay? Do you know one of the biggest garbage dumps in the world is just right inside Guatemala City? I have seen this moan eyes. It is incomprehensible what you see when you're just driving along a road going into the city. I mean, and the city's right there, and the city's right there, and the city's right there, and all of a sudden, if you ever flown over Guatemala, there's just hills and hills where volcanoes have erupted, and they just fill up these crevices. That's what they've done here with this garbage. And it's not like garbage dumps around here where they put a little soil on it, try to cover it up, and they've got some policies on that and some regulations. Down there, they just keep dumping garbage truck after garbage truck it's incredible the amount of 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 garbage that is collected there it's really sad as you drive by this garbage dump and and i'm gonna just i'm just telling you how bad it was i mean as trucks are driving in i've got a picture of it I mean, it's not just an occasional truck every now. It's trucks lined up, and, and all these people, can you see it? All these people here, they're lined up in the dump with, with all these big machines pushing stuff around, and people are there, and they're sorting through the garbage, trying to find food for their families. And clothes. And maybe they can find some metal. 
or something that they can salvage and go and sell. And so you see these big bags. I don't know if you can make it out or not. These bags where people are collecting stuff. And just right outside where the dump is, there are all these buildings lined up where they're selling these bags of garbage that they pick through for pennies on a dollar. It's trying to make money. It's, it's, it's said that as many as a thousand families make a living out of this garbage dump. That's where they get their food. Now, it's not making a living like we think of. It's barely existing. I've seen videos where trucks are driving in, they're open-air trucks, and people are already climbing on the trucks in order to get first dibs on what's going on. Scavengers. It's thought that scavengers who recycle the dumps of trash reduce Guatemala's waste by a million pounds a day. People going in and picking this stuff out. But in the process, they're breathing toxic fumes and sifting through biohazardous materials in order to do it, and cancer rates are incredible. During the five to six months of rainy season, May through October, the land becomes very unstable and frequently collapses and, and many people just go missing because they're consumed by the dump. Several years ago, there was a fire that broke out and it took months to get it under control. Many people just came up missing. They had no idea what happened to him. Now, the point of this illustration is not how terrible it is. It's terrible. And there is a lot of illustration that come out of this, but the point of me telling you about this incredible garbage dump is to create a, a mental picture of just how large the garbage dump is of sin before a holy God. That's what our sin looks like. It looks like this right here. Piled up. Another analogy you can draw out of this illustration is just how consuming sin really is and sucking people right into it. We stand before a holy God and our sins are piled up higher than one of the largest garbage dumps in the world. And it's a debt we cannot pay. Yet out of compassion, in the place that we find ourselves before this Gracious and loving God, He sends His Son, Jesus, to pay our debts. 
And we ought to stand in awe of what God's done and how merciful He is. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. But just like the king does with this merciful, as showing mercy on this servant, he showers him with mercy as God does with us when we accept the gift that is given through Jesus Christ. Amen? Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, I, I just come to you and I ask, first of all, that we just have a heart of thanksgiving for you being so merciful toward us, even though we don't deserve anything, yet you still show us incredible mercy as Jesus illustrates I pray that today we'll be able just to look at where we are even though we may have been forgiven of our sin that we would realize just the place that you brought us from how desperate we were to receive the forgiveness that you've that you've given to us and we would stand in awe of your love we'd be able to look into our own lives and have you open our eyes to the sin that we have confess that sin to you and fall before you and seek forgiveness. May we truly see ourselves the way you want to see us. And Father, when we do, if we'll be honest, it might change our whole perspective of your love for us and how, how, how vast it is, how, how great a chasm you crossed so that we could have that right relationship with you. I pray, Father, that every person here has it right now. If they don't, today, I pray the Holy Spirit's convicting them and would just cause them to surrender. Admit they're a sinner. Come before you and ask for forgiveness and find life in Jesus Christ as he promises to do. Maybe you're leading someone to make another decision for you, Father. Today would be a day of obedience as we open ourselves to you and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If God's convicting you and leading you to do something, then it's time of invitation. Please don't walk away until you accomplish it with Him right now. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus, made in all, all to him I owe. Sin had left 
Him my Lord. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Yes, my sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Wake, Father, I just pray that. Maybe if there's no words in my message today that hit home to anyone, then maybe the words of this great old hymn would just ring true in our minds and in our hearts to truly understand just how gracious, how loving, and caring, merciful you are. Sin left a crimson stain. Jesus washed it white as snow. May that be our theme this week as we leave this place shortly. To celebrate the goodness of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Good to be in the Lord's house this morning. I know he's honored by your presence here today. Hey, I do want you, uh, if you will, to keep our students in prayer. Uh, We're going to be taking about 40 um, this weekend to our fall retreat, and we're super stoked. I've had students texting me all week, counting down the days. They're counting the days down. They need this break, and um, it's going to be a great time. So uh, just be in prayer that that we would make much of God this weekend. God has just opened some incredible doors for us uh, for this weekend, and I'm just looking forward to a really great time and a good report um, next week. Um, our ladies had a wonderful retreat. I've heard so many good things about it this past week, and uh, there's some other opportunities for you uh, still. If you're you miss maybe you missed that retreat, there's other opportunities in our women's ministry men's ministry too that we would uh, love for you to plug into if you're not plugging into that um, that's just you running a high octane engine on some crappy fuel I mean you're just not hitting on all cylinders and so uh, we encourage you just to kind of plug in and be all that God's called you to be here in the ministry we're giving you opportunities and resources and if you're just if you're just showing up on Sunday mornings you're just getting part of it and uh, I just pray that God would convict your heart that there's more to it than just this. Do want to let you know our Friday friends um, are going to be meeting this coming Friday, and uh, they've got some really great things uh, as they're prepping for the holidays, uh, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, and want you to be a part of that. So um, ladies, please come and be a part of Friday friends. Uh, They just do a a fantastic job. We'll be posting more about that on social media this week. And then, of course, coming up October 29th, I've kind of coined up the power hour here between uh, 6 and 7. It's going to be a really great time, a great opportunity for us to just love on our community. Trunk or treat at the beach. And uh, as that that weather begins to get cooler and cooler, man, this idea is just resonating more and more with my heart. So hope you'll plan on being a part of that. I think from last week we're up a little over 20 on our, our trunks. We're hoping for 30. 
So if you're kind of on the fence about it, get with someone else on the fence about it. Hopefully between the two of you, it'll be enough to knock you off the fence. That's the hope. And uh, you can be a part of that. Um, a lot of other things coming up. Uh, don't forget coming up November. I think we've got a slide on this. November the 5th. November 5th. Thank you, Eric. Two weeks um, away. Two weeks away. This is going to be a really exciting time. It's called Worship Around the Table. And we have, um, I know, a handout that you can give out to your friends, family. We made those available for you this morning. We've never done anything like this before. I'm super excited about it. Not only are we going to be worshiping in the, the sanctuary around tables, we've got some great food. And uh, next week, as a matter of fact, we'll be uh, kind of giving you some categories that you can sign up for. That way we don't have 75 different versions of macaroni and cheese. Uh, I like macaroni and cheese, but that's just too much. So we'll have you sign up for some different areas. That way we'll all bring a variety of extra sides uh, that'll go along with Dairy King's um, pulled chicken and dressing. It's good stuff. Yep. So that's coming up. So we'll have a good time with that. There are no life groups that day. We will come in for a time of worship, and then we'll have a meal of fellowship together and have some good times, okay? Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take want a moment to, to personally thank you, you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request. We would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us, and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.